Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. Of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next, for truly, I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? This is the word of the Lord. Morning, New King Church. Happy Valentine's Day. Um, my wife, she wanted me to uh, wear something red, so she had me wear this red flannel. And, uh, and I have a very special Valentine's Day special sermon for you today. Um, and it's called, The King's Witnesses Will Be Hated. So we don't do Valentine's Day specials around here, if you haven't noticed. It's funny that it fell on this day, right? So the call to go is a call to suffer. The call to glory is a call to the road of pain. The call to live for Christ is the call to die for Christ. The call to peace with God is a call to enmity with the world. Last week we saw Christ do something very different than we've seen him do before. He didn't just demonstrate his authority and his power, but he actually granted it. He authorizes and he sends his apostles to the towns of Israel with a message of his power. The kingdom is at hand. The king is here. And he's establishing his kingdom. And so his apostles, they further his missionary work as his witnesses. And yet, after telling them all these wonderful things about the power that they are going to demonstrate as witnesses, he now begins to describe to them the harsh reality of being the king's witnesses. What we see in this passage is a portrait of the Christian witness. And we learn this, the king's witnesses, they will be hated. So let us invite the Spirit to be our teacher in these things. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word, your glorious teachings, how they instruct us 
They instruct us in the rightful expectation that we should have. What should we expect from the world? You tell us clearly. What should we do in our witness? How should we witness? What should we preach? Thank you for all of your commands, your righteous ways, Lord. Lord, would you instruct us? Would you teach us? Would you open up hearts here? Would you let this church today be fertile ground for your seed, the seed of your word, to go deeply and to bear fruit, God, fruit that is glorious and precious to you. You are the great farmer, and what you want is fruit. That is what you want. You don't want dead trees. You didn't plant trees just to sit there and look pretty. You wanted them to bear fruit. So, Lord, would you raise us up? Would you raise up people, ministers for your word, proclaimers, preachers, missionaries, evangelists, servants, all the works of your spirit, Lord. Fill us with the breath of your spirit. Let us go in your name. Preach to us, Lord. And we pray all this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So look at verse 16. He says this, I am sending you. But the question, church, is how is he sending them? He's sending them as sheep in the midst of wolves. Jesus spoke of sheep moments earlier. He called the people the lost sheep of Israel and sheep without a shepherd. He called his apostles laborers, but now he makes it clear that his laborers also are sheep. They are sheep finding lost sheep, and the lost sheep are out among the wolves. That is the picture of the Christian witness which we are dealing with today. Christ had invested them with authority over demons, disease, over the dead to raise them, over dark spiritual strongholds to conquer them, but he also sent them as sheep among wolves. This is the reality of missions, and this is the reality of a life of a witness. You are a prey, a prey. The world desires to destroy you and to devour you. It wishes to devour the Christian witness to stifle it, to silence it. But Jesus isn't advocating kamikaze-style missions. He says this, So be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. So knowing this reality, he tells you, Be wise. Since you are sheep among wolves, be wise like serpents, even as you maintain your innocence like doves. This wisdom is displayed in verse 23 when he says, When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. Paul did this in an angry city. He avoided capture by being let down in a basket over the city walls at night. Well, if sheep among wolves is an accurate description of our state in the world, then the question is, well, what motivates the wolf? Right? Why are we devoured by the world? Why would they want to destroy the Christian witness well, Jesus calls it very simply hatred. He says, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Before we really get into this church, I want you to consider this question from the outset. I want you to consider, though Jesus describes this as the reality of the Christian witness, do we now see Christians in our context embracing, embracing, this expectation. 
So personally, I don't think so. I don't think we see Christians embracing this expectation, at least not in America. We do not embrace this expectation that we will be hated. I think rather that we see the Christian witness expectance of nothing else and nothing short of the world's love, their adoration, their respect. I hear Christians say, well, why should they hate us? What's to hate? I mean, how can you hate Christianity? We know the beauty of our faith. How on earth could somebody hate that? And other Christians argue, well, if we're kind and compassionate like Christ, well, they won't hate us. They'll be attracted to us. That's true, and yet, did they not torture and slaughter the very God of love? There are at least two ways that I can think of that the Christian witness can be compromised. The first is by compromising the message, that is, who Christ is and what he said. There are many ways that this compromise manifests. It changes Christ's. It makes him more palatable to unholy tastes. It strips him of his lordship over all peoples. It makes Jesus a universal savior of all, regardless of condition. There is no condition. It does away with the supernatural miracles and virgin birth. It does away with God's righteous demand for justice, with God's eternal wrath against sin, his hatred, and his damnation of sinners. It avoids passages that paint God as a hard-handed warrior delivering wrath to his enemies, or those that paint God as a judge delivering judgment to transgressors. It does away with the Lord's requirement of obedience and repentance. It allows for the pursuit of pleasures. It allows for the continuance of self-delusions. And in short, it lets them have their cake and eat it too. So now, church, if you find any of these delusions agreeable that I've just said, you may want to catch a service at a local progressive Christian church. They've managed to do all of this and so much more, and their very appealing gospel has won over the world in droves. I'm sure you're all aware how packed out the progressive churches are in the city. That's a joke if you didn't catch it. They're empty. You see, they have a form of godliness, but they deny its power. And what is that power? It's the true power of God, the gospel. The gospel. So their churches are dead and lifeless and utterly useless. We could have social services instead of a progressive Christian church. They do just the same thing. So they do not have the power of God, the gospel. They are dead. The form of their gospel is the same gospel of our culture. You see, the, the culture went to the progressive Christian church and said, this sounds nice, well, but I don't see why we need this part. You're just saying some nice stuff, so I'll just take this out to our culture. And that's what our culture is. Believe and do whatever you will. We're all accepted, we're all loved, and we're all righteous. Now, if you can't easily delude yourself against what the Scriptures clearly teach, 
The second way Christian witness can be compromised is by compromising yourself. Maybe you'll find this a little bit easier of a way to compromise your witness. In this compromise, you can still keep your theology of who the Lord is and of what he said, but, and this is the important part, just don't tell people. Just don't tell people. Or if you must tell them, only tell them the parts that you think that they'll like. Parse the gospel. Cut it into bite-sized pieces that are digestible for the postmodern appetite. We wouldn't want them thinking you're crazy or evil or satanic or call you something crazy like Beelzebul. That's what they call Jesus, if you didn't catch that. Compromise your Christ-likeness. That is essentially what this is. You essentially must be nothing like Christ. You must be ever-loving but never truthful. So in short, you must either compromise Christ or be sure that you are nothing like him. So church, I ask you, do you love to tell people about the love of Jesus? I mean, the answer should be yes. I love to tell people about the love of Christ that is contained in the gospel. That's good. Only be certain that you do not render meaningless the love of Christ by leaving out the whole counsel of God. Be certain that you are an authentic witness of the King and of His message. Because the gospel is primarily about man being reconciled to God. That is what it's about. The eternal love of Christ has meaning and substance because of the eternal wrath of God against sin. What if God, desiring to show His wrath and to make known His power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of His mercy for vessels of mercy, of His glory for vessels of mercy? It's Romans 9.22. The immense power of His mercy toward us is on full display because of the full display of his wrath against sinners. That is the beauty of the gospel. And you, take, you give the gospel without its bite when you remove that. And let him be accursed who proclaims a gospel contrary to this according to the curse that Paul gives in Galatians 1, 8-9. And church, may the Lord preserve us against a false, lying gospel and a false, lying witness. Lord, preserve us. It's so easy to fall for this, this postmodern context that doesn't want to offend. I don't want to get into this awkward confrontation I don't want to tell this person that they are on their way to hell. I'd rather it be a little less awkward than that. I'd rather just be friends. Let me win them over with my personality. That's called seduction evangelism. Seduction evangelism. People literally have done that. (laughs) And that is not what we are called to. We are called to preach. That is to proclaim and declare the good news of Christ. So contrary to the modern Christian witness, 
and their preference to be loved by the world. This is the reality of every true witness of Christ. What is it, church? We will be hated. That is the true, the true witness and his state. We will be hated by all for his name's sake. And this is in accordance with the very life of our teacher, Christ. The king's witnesses, they must be like their king. We must be like our king. Jesus said in verse 24, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. Well, in what way, Lord? In your mercy? In your grace? In your love? In in your power? In your authority? Well, that's not what he says here. In this way, if they call the master of the house Beelzebul, that is a false god, a Satan, how much more will they malign those of his household? How much more will they call you satanic? How much more will they call you evil and immoral and wrong-headed and narrow-minded? Jesus says it is enough that we are like him in this way. Our Lord was rejected and killed by men, not for his kindness, but for who he was, what he said, and for the nature of his witness. So what was his witness like? His witness was humbling to the proud and gracious to the humble. His witness pointed man to the sinfulness of his thoughts and his intentions. His witness deconstructed the systems of lies that they had all held so dearly, that had made them so secure. His witness exposed them to the fact of their standing before God. His witness showed them that they were not lovable, They were not acceptable. They were not righteous. His witness called them to change their ways lest they be destroyed. His witness called them to be cleansed by the blood of Christ in order to be made acceptable to God. His witness demanded their submission to his lordship. In short, his witness bears a message that dead, unregenerate hearts will never accept unless they're called and taught by the Father. And so they are. So we have been. So we were. Not only that, but his witness was that of a preacher. Jesus was a preacher, a proclaimer. A preacher does not exchange pleasantries. A preacher does not debate A preacher is not a relational evangelist or a seduction evangelist. A preacher doesn't try to get to know you and your special issues before they declare to you the gospel. A preacher knows your issue because it is the universal one. It is the issue of sin. It is the issue of rebellion. A preacher knows the primary problem with man is that he is a rebel. And it is to that which the preacher addresses himself. A true Christian witness declares and proclaims and preaches and tells the whole truth of the gospel, and that is the witness that the world hates. Let us walk 
in Christ's footsteps. His footsteps are on a certain road, and that road leads to the cross. And the other path is not his. So it's a question, church, for you. If that's all true, that we will be hated by the world, that we can't compromise the message of Christ or compromise ourselves as messengers, if we must walk in the way that Christ walked, a fearless proclaimer of the gospel, hated by the world, if all that's true, what will the world do in their hatred toward Christian witnesses? Anybody tell me? What will they do to us? Shame us. That is part of it. They will persecute us. They will kill us. They will lead us before the courts and try us and falsely accuse us and slander us, destroy our reputations. And if they can't accomplish what they seek to do to silence the Christian witness through those means, then ultimately they will kill us. They will persecute us. Jesus tells us in verse 17 through 18. Look at these words. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. So notice this. A true Christian witness oftentimes draws persecution from institutions, from government, from religion, established religion. Courts, governors, and kings, mosques, synagogues, and apostate churches. These have been the instruments of unjust and irreligious persecution against the Christian witness since the time of Jesus. Jesus said they did this thinking that they did this in service to who else but God himself. He says this in John 16, 1 through 2. I have said all these things to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. Their righteous cause makes the Christian witness the object of their indignation. And so they must silence it, their misplaced fanaticism, their intolerance for the one true gospel. It has repeated itself throughout history since Christ, all the way up until now. And we're honestly fooling ourselves a little bit, church, if we don't think that that can happen again. History repeats itself even in the land of the free. What's interesting is that Jesus calls this an opportunity. Because it is for his sake to bear witness about him. About him and against them. About who he is and what their true state is before the Lord. You see, persecution, it begins against Christian witness. And persecution provides opportunity for more Christian witness. Persecution is, God, is part of God's plan for perpetuating his witness. So what they intended for evil, God intends for good. 
Jesus instructs his disciples and his Christian witness and what they are to do when this opportunity arrives in verse 19. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. But shouldn't we mount a defense for the gospel, right? Shouldn't we prepare? Isn't preparation key? But Jesus says, don't worry. Why is that? It's because of verse 20, this promise. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. What a promise. This is a great spiritual truth. You aren't the one who will be speaking in the hour, but your Father, His very Spirit in you. This is more than a promise of God's presence. What a dear promise that He will be with us. But this is more than that. This is the promise of His very speech, of His very communication, His Word. And what a comfort to know that the Christian witness is provided the very words that he is to witness with. In Luke 21, 12 through 15, Jesus puts it this way. They will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. Power, a power of witness is provided by Christ to his servants. This reminds me of God's enablement of Moses to bear witness to the king of Egypt, another king. Moses thought that he couldn't talk right. He talked funny, right? But God told him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be your mouth, be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. That's Exodus 4, 11 through 12. The Lord is in the mouth of his witnesses as they bear witness in the most frightening settings. I love the example of Stephen, a deacon in the church who once proclaimed the gospel. An angry mob threatened his life, and eventually they would kill him. But what testimony does the scripture bear witness of Stephen's Christian witness? It says this in Acts 6, verse 10. They could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. The promise was fulfilled for the Christian witness since then, many, many times. That is the power provided for the Christian witness in the midst of persecution. A very special, special blessing. But here's the question that arises. Is this a blessing for us? How many of you have borne witness lately to courts or kings or governors or religious councils, right? Is this promise for us? Well, there's three things I want to say to that. 
First, this promise here, it is at the very least a special promise to Christian witnesses in the most difficult situations. That is the clear and primary meaning here. God promises to speak through us in this very direct way in times of crisis. And I would not detract from this very dear and special promise for those who are in great trial and tribulation. They have a very dear and special promise for them to endure them. The promise is especially, though, for those who represent Christ in the most terrifying of situations. Secondly, this promise, it is an arm's length from each one of us. If only we will faithfully and daily bear witness. That is how Christian witnesses, every one of them since history, has found themselves on trial in courts before religious councils because they faithfully proclaimed the gospel in many places and in many times. And so they were slandered and they were despised and eventually taken to court. We can expect the same when we faithfully witness and proclaim the gospel of Christ. As the Apostle Paul says, he gives us this, this expectation, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Thirdly, we have many promises for courage in our daily witness. In other scriptures, God promises to be our teacher, our comforter, to give us boldness in our witness for Christ. So the Christian witness has a very special promise for those most tense of all situations, but the Christian is not left without a promise and without a helper for the daily task of witnessing. Consider this. Are you compromising your Christian witness because you're afraid of consequences? Are you afraid of your boss? Do you value the rules of your industry more than the command of Christ to proclaim the gospel to all peoples? When you stand before the judge of all, he won't reward you on how, how well you followed corporate practices and corporate rules restricting religious talk. He won't. You may be wondering, is Pastor Aaron encouraging us to ignore workplace rules about declaring the gospel and calling people to repentance? And you're right, I am. I am. No job you see, is more worth keeping than this job that we have to be Christian witnesses. That is our ultimate job, our primary job here on earth. Everything is secondary to that job. Let us be willing to lose our jobs, to have legal action taken against us, to not have a salary or income for the sake of Christ, for obedience to his call to proclaim the gospel. So as a Christian witness, you can expect persecutions. You should expect persecutions. And you can expect it from various institutions, 
but also you can expect powerful and personal help from the Lord. You can expect Him to show up in a big way for those who obey Him. And He will help you deal with any consequence of your daily Christian witness. You see? So why not be bold wherever you are throughout the week? Don't be bold just here or a community group. He calls you to be bold everywhere for His gospel. But where else does Jesus say in this passage that we should expect hatred of the Christian witness? Can anybody tell me, where else do we, should we expect hatred? It's in the passage, folks. Family. In the place closest to home. In the place closest to our hearts. In our own families. Verse 21, brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Can't get through a sermon without crying, jeez. Jesus speaks of family members surrendering family members to death. He says more about this in verses 34 through 39. He really gives special attention to it there. And he starts in verse 34 with a principle about his coming that is directly affecting this idea. He says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. Whoa, because I definitely thought that. Didn't you? He says, no, I did not come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. A sword. Whatever happened to peace on earth, goodwill toward men, right? Whatever happened to blessed are the peacemakers. What about the wisdom from above that's peace-loving? There's a lot of peace throughout the New Testament, right? That's all true, but this is too. We're called to be peace lovers and peacemakers, yet even our families will hate us. Yet the coming of Christ and the word of Christ will bring division, and it will bring division even in our families. This is the expectation Christ gives us. And the gospel of peace is this primarily. It is this, be reconciled to God. That is the peace that God is offering. That is the peace that the Lord came to offer the world. The gospel can break down human divisions. That's true, but that is a secondary cause. That is a symptom of the gospel. The peace of God is not like the world's peace, and it does not always bring men together. Jesus did not come to reverse his father's work at the Tower of Babel, where he divided the nations, where he scattered the peoples. His ultimate goal, therefore, isn't world peace, though that will be a result of his goal, and it certainly isn't to unite his people with his enemies. In fact, the gospel has the opposite effect on hard hearts. 
Do we not know this? The gospel of peace has an opposite effect on hard hearts. It further hardens them. To them who are perishing, we are an odor of death. We are like the smell of a skunk, the smell of a corpse. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2.16, and we are a reminder of eternal judgment, of their eternal death. This effect is pungent to the unbeliever, especially to those in our families. A fruit of the gospel can be reconciled family relationships. It surely can be. And yet, we see here another truth. Jesus didn't come to establish wholesome family relationships. That was not the purpose for which he come. He came. He didn't come to heal your relationship with your son or with your parents. It's possible with God. Yes. I will tell you that. It is possible with God. But there's also this truth that we cannot forget. Christ's coming divides families. He says in verse 37, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me, same thing, is not worthy of me. I've known people who have rejected the gospel because it would mean that their beloved relative was in hell. Their relative was more important than God and his purposes. But I wonder how many of us are making a compromise. How many of us compromise our Christian witness toward our family for the sake of maintaining a peace that Jesus never promised? We're not changing each other's minds. It'll only harden their hearts more. But that is what the gospel does. A Christian witness, it divides families. Even as it creates a new one. Even as it creates a new family. The family of God. So church, you must love the Lord more than your family and your Christian witness. This seems a heavy burden, the Christian witness. The Christian witness that draws such hatred from so many places, places dear to our hearts that break our hearts. Love for country, love for tradition, love for family. In some ways, it truly is a burden. We cannot shy from that because it is the burden of the cross. But Paul said... I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is the church. You see, it can be a joyful burden. The joyful burden of the Christian witness, it is the joyful burden of the cross. It is the burden of bearing great splintery beams for miles to the place you know you will die. It is nails driven in hands by clanking hammers. It is hours of gasping for breath as you bleed. It is the torture of the world. It is crucifixion. It is the cross. And Jesus says, we must accompany him. He says, come with me. 
We must go with him on this road to suffering. And we must, with him and alongside of him, bear our cross. He says, whoever does not take his cross and follow me is what, church? Is not worthy of me. We do say, I'll follow you. I'll follow you wherever you go. But Jesus says, you don't know where I'm going. I'm going to the cross. And you will go with me too if you keep following me. But what promise does he give? Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I will find it. Church, ask yourself, have I been compromising the gospel of Christ? Have I been compromising my witness? Have I been trying to please people around me, but not the one who sent me to them to be a witness? Have I been craving the love of the world more than the love of Christ? And do I love the world more than Jesus himself? Is that what my witness shows me? Jesus says this in John 15, 18 through 25. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. So church, ask yourself, have I been weak-mouthed? Have I been limp-wristed? Unable to bring the message to my lips and to my hands? Though I know it in my heart, the gap between my heart and my lips and my hands is like a chasm. Is that you? Or perhaps you simply see that your Christian witness has been lacking in some other way. Perhaps you have tried to speak, but you have lacked boldness. You've lacked courage. You've lacked the zeal of the Spirit of the Lord for His gospel. You have lacked a passionate witness for the things of God. Whatever your case, the answer is here for you today. Whatever your case, we need the Spirit of the Lord to fill us, to enable us, to empower us, to bridge that gap. This is the promise we have in Acts 1.8. Jesus said this to his disciples, but you will receive power 
when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Church, bow your heads. Close your eyes. I want you now to deal with God. Deal with the Lord. Where are you at with this, church? If you have never accepted what the Christian witness has said to you, maybe you've heard it so much, they're witnessing their gospel, their truth, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. He rose from the dead. You have to believe in him. You have to repent of your sins. You've heard this, but you have not accepted it. Know this, you must be born again, and today is your chance. Believe in Christ. Repent of your sins. Today is the day of salvation. Do not wait. Do not wait. Listen to the Christian witness that the Lord has sent to you today. If you think perhaps the Lord is telling you today that your Christian witness is lacking in some way, church, right now you have an opportunity to confess it to the Lord. Confess it to him. Ask him for the grace to change. Ask him for power from on high to be a witness for him. Church, now I want to give you all an opportunity to do these things, to respond to this word that you've heard today, this Christian witness that you have heard today. So deal with the Lord, but if you do this, I want you to have a physical response. I want you to show what you have done in your heart in a physical way. I want you to respond by coming up here in front of this stage. And then, when you have come up here, when we have had time, sufficient time to pray, to bring our things to the Lord, to deal with the Lord, then I will pray for you, and we will all pray for you, that the Lord will make you a courageous witness. And, and I know, church, that there are many, many of us who need empowerment and courage to be witnesses for Christ. So take time to deal with the Lord now.
Father, King, who sends us to the nations, who sends us to Burlington, who sends us to our workplaces, who sends us to our families, who sends us to our government, who sends us to every religious institution in this country, who sends us to the ends of the earth, King, who has commissioned us, would you raise up laborers for your harvest? Would you raise up now, out of our church, laborers for your harvest? Would you raise up witnesses all across Burlington in this church? Would you raise up from this congregation a bold mouth, a bold mouth that is stubborn, <laughs> that is stubborn for your word, that will not, will not compromise its witness to you. Church, if you would like to receive a blessing and a prayer, I invite you to come to the stage now. Father. Lord, Lord of harvest, King with all authority, help us, help New King Church, help these people, help us to embrace your cross, to embrace your way. Help us to be a people who are eager and willing to bear the cross. Let us be a people with, who are armed with that same way of thinking that Christ had, who suffered in the flesh. Let us be willing to suffer in the flesh so we might cease from sin to live the rest of our lives, not for human passions, but for God's will. Let that be true of us, Lord. Christ, we crave to know you. We crave to know you and the power of your resurrection, the fellowship of your suffering, and to be conformed to your death. We long to know you perfectly, to experience you. That is the heart of this church. That is the heart of these people. That is why we have come forward to you. We have entered into the holy place through Jesus. We are here before you, before the mercy seat of God, sprinkled with the blood of Christ. We know you hear us. There is nothing stopping us from being heard by you because of the intercession of Jesus. And so we say, come Lord, come, send your spirit upon us. Empower us to be your witness, both here and in all Vermont, and in all the United States, and to the ends of the earth. Let your spirit fall upon us mightily. Let there be gifts, God, from your spirit. Let there be all the manifold manifestations of your spirit in this church to be a full and mature witness of your gospel, of the power of God to salvation. 
Lord, come upon us now. Let us not leave this church without the equipment of your spirit, the investment of your power to go as your witnesses. Fall upon all these people here. Fall upon me. Fall upon our church. Let us go, Lord. Send us. Here we are. Send us. You have cleansed our lips by the power of Christ. We have lips that are cleansed for the purpose of witnessing. Here we are. Send us. Send us. Raise up your church, Lord. Here we are. Send us. We are ready. We are waiting. We are eager to go to them, to go to our workplaces, to speak to our government, to speak to the religious traditions that are all around us and the religious institutions, to speak to our family, our parents, our children, our siblings, our uncles, our aunts, our cousins. Lord, we are here. Send us. And when this expectation is fulfilled that you have given us, that the world will hate us, when it happens, Lord, let us persist in the, to be a witness. Let us persist in your word. Let us keep giving the word until you bring us to that day where we will bear witness before kings and courts and religious councils, and then we receive that special promise that we will be witnesses for you with your very mouth, speaking your words. Bring us to that day. Let us share in all your glorious ways, all of your riches, Lord, even in this rich thing to suffer for your name, even in this rich blessing to be hated by the world and to be loved by you. All these things we pray in the mighty, powerful name of Jesus Christ. We give it to you for your glory. Amen. Amen. Amen.